0: living Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Of water, wash away we are in a, a series just started last Sunday called God Strong as we're going to make our way through the book of, of Daniel, and today we're going to be in uh, Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 21, what we're going to go through. Um, so I've been really looking forward to the series and looking forward to the study and how it's going to impact our lives here, so I um, hope you are too. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my family had this really cool marble chess set. I don't really know where we got it. You could talk to mom and dad and find out if you want to. Um, but I just remember, you know, my brother and I were... Uh, playing chess on this chess that my brother Guy and I don't remember who taught us, but um, when we got taught, it was like, this is how you move the pieces, and this is how you win, and that's about all we got, okay? So, my brother and I, you know, pretty evenly matched, um, you know, we didn't, didn't know what we were doing, so we are playing each other e- pretty even records until he got a little older, because he's smarter, and he started beating me down on the chess board, you know, and... That's probably why he has the chess board today. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, when I played, I always had this lack of confidence because I, w- I knew how the pieces moved, but I didn't know when to move what pieces where. And so every time I made a move, I'm like, I was the wrong move. I'm gonna get, you know, that's gonna open me up. I didn't know how to be aggressive. I didn't know how to play defense. You know what I was missing? A chess strategy. A chess strategy. See, good players they can see up ahead in a chess game any number of moves, and they can anticipate what their opponent's going to do when they make a move. And then you bring that kind of skill with a uh, with a chess strategy, and you're going to get games that look like this. I guarantee you, my brother and I never played like that. That was an that was an entire chess game in 90 seconds. Not 90 seconds. I mean, that's what can happen when you have some foresight, a little chess strategy, and admittedly some giftedness in the game of chess. That guy was Magnus Carlsen, who won 27-year-old world chess champion for the last five years running. He earned his uh, chess grandmaster title um, when he was 13 and a half years old. So he's he's uh, pretty amazing. Do you think it would be possible? to live our lives for Jesus like that guy plays chess. I mean, if we were going to define God strong with the game of chess, wouldn't it have to be that? I mean, how could we how could how could it be anything else? Well, Daniel's story here in chapter 1 is going to reveal to us some God strong strategies as we're trying to live this godly life in an ungodly world. Now, our chapters are longer now, so I'm going to kind of read as we go through. We'll start there in verse three, but first I want to pray as we dive in. Heavenly Father, um, we we come to you today and are thankful that we have your word, that you've preserved it for us, that we have stories that teach us, and and that you speak to us through. And we pray, Lord, as we take in this first chapter of Daniel, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that our hearts would be good soil for your word and would bear fruit today. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight in Jesus name we pray amen so the first strategy comes from verses 3 to 7 and it is to fight the removal let's read those then the king commanded Ashpenaz his chief eunuch to be to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility used without blemish and of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom Endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave the names Daniel. He called gave them names Daniel. He called Belshazzar, um, Hananiah. He called Shadrach, Mishael. He called Meshach, and Azariah. He called Abednego. So King Nebuchadnezzar he gives this order after they've sacked um, the, the nation of Israel, and he asks uh, for some of the best and brightest people of. Israel to be brought back to Babylon and to begin a training program uh, in their ways. So in other words, he's saying, I want you to disciple these people in ba- to be Babylonians. Teach them how to be Babylonians. Uh, they need to leave their old life behind. Uh, they need to become part of us. So you're going to feed their minds. You're going to give them our stories, our myths, our superstitions. You're going to give them all that. You're going to feed their bodies the best food we have to offer. So that they get used to eating our food. We want them to crave our food, their appetites. And we want to have their hearts be dependent on the king uh, for everything that they're being given. We want to do this for three years. So it's going to be uh, Babylonian 101, Babylonian 201, and Babylonian 301. Three years of courses to reprogram their minds and bodies to serve and depend on the king. And the place you're going to start is with their names. They're going to change their names. Now, among those who were taken were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, it's thought they were about 15 years old when they were taken, and they had some awesome SAT scores. Uh, their names all had their meaning and roots in their God. Daniel, meaning God is my judge, that was changed to Belshazzar, or Bel, protect his life. Bell, a name for their gods. Hananiah, the Lord shows grace, changed to Shadrach, command of Aku, e- who is the moon god. Mishael, who, who is like God, was changed to Meshach, who is as Aku is. Azariah, the Lord is my help, changed to Abednego, servant of Nebo. So can you see what's going on there? There's, that, is a, 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 that is revealing King Nebuchadnezzar's strategy to remove God from their life. He's like, convert the best and brightest in our reprogramming effort. Remove God from their minds. Remove God from their life. They will forget him. They will lose their dignity. They will lose their national identity. And not only will I have better counselors to support my kingdom, we won't ever have to fight Israel again as a nation. So that's what the king thought. But little... Did he know that God preserved for himself a faithful remnant? People who would be faithful to him regardless of their circumstances. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing in Romans chapter 11, he was making a case that God had not abandoned his people there. And listen to what he says in Romans eleven two to 5. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? He is always keeping people for himself who will acknowledge him, who will be faithful to him when it looks like his people are falling apart. He's maintaining a remnant. Just like he allowed the king King Nebuchadnezzar to take some of the vessels of God um, out of Jerusalem and take them to to their God's house, just like he allowed that to be taken, um, he also allowed Daniel and his friends to be taken into captivity, but not to punish them, but actually to protect them and to preserve them and to use them. Now, in our times, we have this similar removal effort going on in our world, an effort to remove God from our lives. And it encourages us to depend on ourselves and depend on our jobs and depend on our government for, for life. But if we're going to live God strong, we want to fight this removal effort. And in Paul, he spoke to the church in Colossus about this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he said, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So how do we see to it that we're not taken captive? Well, here's four ways. Four ways to fight the removal of God in your life. The first one is know your name. Know your name. Now, I'm not talking about the name your parents gave you. I'm talking about the name that God has given you. And He's given you many names. You are a child of God. You are a saint. You are a sinner set free. You are redeemed. You are chosen by God. You are sealed by God. You are alive in God. You are a friend of Jesus, God's masterpiece. And, that, and the list keeps going. You're all of these things in Christ. That's your identity. That's who you are when you are a believer in Him. When you believe that He is the Son of the living God and that He lived a perfect life and He died on that cross to remove sin, to forgive sin. And he rose from the grave, securing victory over death, so that we could have hope in him that we will too. When you believe that, you're in Christ. Twelve people in Brazil just not long ago believed that. And they're born again. Do you know your name? Now, the world offers names. Many, many names. An athlete. An artist. A businessman. A businesswoman. A photographer, a doctor. All of these are names. A cool kid, a hipster, a gearhead, a rock star, a redneck. Some people like to be called that. I mean, that's their, they, you know, they take play, you know, their pride in that. Upper crust. I mean, the list is endless. Do you know your name? Did you know that God has given you a name? that you've never heard. And when you see him in heaven, you're going to find out what the name is and you're going to go, that's me. Listen to Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it. The stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So in Christ, you are becoming that name. You're becoming that name. You will be the only one in heaven to answer to that name. Think about that. Your heavenly Father has named you, His child, uniquely. How much does He love you? How much does He value your life? We want to know that name. We want to have our identity in that. We also want to know our provider. Know your provider. And we do a a lot for ourselves. We're encouraged to do that. We're encouraged to live independent lives and productive lives. And pursuing uh, prosperity. And God definitely wants us to work. Did you know that work was created by God? It was created by God back in the garden. He gave Adam a job to do and he did that before the fall of man. So that means the work that he created was good and perfect, nothing bad about it. Then the fall happened and it became hard. That's when it became hard. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So God wants us to work. But see, our work... Our work is the way that God provides for us, not the source of our provision. It's just the way. To know your provider means that you've got to live in dependence on him. His name, God's name, is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Can you amen that? Because you know he's provided for you? He is provider. So that means today when we sit down to a meal, we should acknowledge Him and thank Him for what He has provided. Praise Him that you woke up today, that He gave you another day of life, that your heart is beating. He's the one who is keeping you going. So live life in such a way that you remember who your provider is and that you lean on Him to provide. Know your provider. Also know your purpose. What's your purpose for living? One of my favorite purpose verses in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, um, our value is communicated in that verse. We are God's workmanship. God's the one who created us. Um, our salvation is that is in that verse, created in Christ Jesus, our purpose is in that to do good works, and god 's sovereignty is in that, because these good works have been prepared for us in advance. God has a to do list for you it 's different than my to do list it 's designed just for you. Know your purpose. These works are going to bring mercy and justice. They will bear a burden so someone else doesn't have to. And they will make people thank God. What's your purpose for living? And then the fourth one I want to share is know your world. Know your world. Del Tackett is an author at Focus on the Family. Listen to what um, she wrote. Whether conscious or subconscious... Every person has some type of worldview. A personal worldview is a combination of all you believe to be true and what you believe becomes the driving force behind every emotion, decision, and action. Therefore, it affects your response to every area of life from philosophy to science, theology and anthropology to economics, law, politics, art, and social order everything the way you view your world affects everything about your life as believers we have a lens to look at our world to understand it it's called the bible and we work at having a biblical worldview when we look at the bible we see the world we see where it came from we know it was created when we look at through the bible at the world we know why the world is so messed up because of sin when we look through the Bible at the world, we know how it's all going to end. Jesus is going to come back and set up His kingdom, and believers will reign with Him forever. We have all of that when we look through the Bible. Now, there's opposing worldviews out there, like secular humanism, uh, which just believes like the material world is all there is. There's nothing more than this right here. And the problem with these opposing worldviews is they don't just sit out there Um, and our idol, everything else outside of this place in the church is promoting these other world views. We're bombarded with the other world views through TV and movies and blogs, through magazines and newspapers, if anyone reads those still, and uh, books and academia. Worldviews are coming at us from all over the place. And it's an onslaught of info and ideas that are opposed to what we read about in the Bible. And it's constant, constantly coming at us. And it appeals to our carnal nature. It appeals to the desires of our flesh. And so there's a constant opportunity that we have to adopt the world's way of thinking about things. How far have we slid away from God's ideas? His ideas of worship and His ideas of family and sexuality and His ideas of truth. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell if we slipped away. So here's a little experiment for you to try. For the next 30 days, do a media fast. Now, 30 days might be hard, so I, I think this experiment would work if you just did it in a week. So yeah, just, you know, let's bring it down to a week. Take a week. Watch nothing. Take in no shows. Take in no news. Don't do any of that for a whole week. Shut the world off. It's really hard to do. With the time you've got, the spare time, read the Word. You can read a lot of the New Testament with that time, couldn't you? In just a week. Now, after the week is up, go back to the same shows. Go back to the same news. And I'll bet you will find that your worldview has changed. And there will be less to watch and less to worry about. Try it. See what happens. So those are some strategies to help fight the removal of God from our lives. Know your name. Know your provider. Know your purpose. Know your world. And if you implement those, you will be fighting the good fight. Second God strong strategy this morning comes from verses 8 to 16. Make the decisions. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So immediately, Daniel is faced with this small decision, but it's a difficult decision. He understands that if he eats the king's food, which has been offered to idols and has been not prepared in a kosher-like way, if he eats that food, he would become ceremonially unclean before God. And living in a foreign country, he would have no way to rectify that. And so he's got this small decision to make that has this big impact. He asks Ashpenaz, the head waiter uh, over them, if that he could just eat vegetables and water. And then he also tells him the reason. Because I don't want to defile myself before God. Remember, Ashpenaz, he's trying to get rid of God out of their life. And so it's a little bit of a risk for him to ask Ashpenaz this and to tell him why he wants to. You know, we have the opportunity every day to make a decision like Daniel is making. Daniel is making a decision to worship God through the dietary, by keeping the dietary laws that God had set up for them. He's making a decision that way. And we have every day the same opportunity to make the same kinds of decisions... Um, in what we take in, what we eat, what we drink, what we uh, consume as far as media and what comes out of our mouths. All those things are decisions that we can make to worship God, to worship God with our lives. Um, And those decisions should make us look different, sound different, and act different from the world around us, from those we are immersed in. When we make these kinds of decisions... It's important to know the purpose of them. It's it's not to stay right with God. It's not, you know, that I don't sin against him. Because we're already right with God. In Christ, our sins have been forgiven because of his work on the cross. So we're already right with him. See, I believe Daniel is making this diet decision, not because he has to, but because he wants to. His heart is set on God. He wants to do what God has said, even though it might cause him trouble. That is worship. That's worship. The year I was saved, in 1994, I was driving to a client's uh, to do some work in Shelbyville. And I had the radio on, the radio station I'd lived, listened to for a long time, over 10 years. You know, and and, uh, I don't remember what song was playing on the radio, but all I remember was I was singing it and I was thinking about work. So these words are coming out of my mouth kind of mindlessly. It's a very popular radio station, lots of classic rock and roll. So uh, I hear these words coming out of my mouth, and then I felt this conviction from the Holy Spirit, and I made a small decision that day that made this huge, impact on my life with God. I turned off the secular radio stations. I just turned them off because there was nothing that they were playing that was God honoring. Not, not one thing. And there was nothing they were playing that was going to help me or encourage me to believe and keep walking in my faith and I needed all the help I can get. So I made a decision. Now, I didn't do it because I was trying to stay right with God. Because it's the devil's music. I didn't do it because of that. You know, I'm already right with God because I'm trusting what Jesus did on the cross for me. I decided to turn that music off, something I liked, and turn on something that I could worship God with. And it had this huge impact. I went home and I took all my CDs and I took them to the second-hand record store and sold them for pennies on the dollar. That hurt a little bit. Just a little bit. A small decision. It has had a huge impact to worship God through the music that I consume and the music that I croon. And you know what? God's honored that decision. I can't tell you how many times music has been used by God to pick me up. You know, when my heart is far from Him, He has used music to woo me back. It's amazing. I don't have to wait till Sunday to sing God's songs. I mean, there's a constant stream of praise coming from my life. Small decision, big impact. That's what we're talking about. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, God doesn't want us to look like everybody else. He doesn't want us to sound like them, act like them. He wants us to stand out. I made a similar decision 20 years ago not to drink alcohol anymore. I did that because I didn't want to look like everybody else around me. I gave up something I liked to worship God. Now, when uh, opportunity occasionally has come up, to, as uh, people have asked me why I'm not drinking when it's going on, and I have had an opportunity to say, it's, it's just my way of loving my God. And He did not want me to do that anymore. So I don't do it. Now, I think you know, when you hear stuff like this, There is an argument that kind of goes around in our mind, just like, kind of like, well, we're not under law anymore, we're under grace, so we kind of have freedom to do what we want. If we're forgiven, you know, we're forgiven, you know, come on, we're setting up rules and laws. But listen, that right there, you need to say we're under grace, is under law kind of thinking. You're thinking about yourself, thinking about trying to stay right with God. It's under law, kind of thinking. When you are under grace, the want to to worship God far exceeds the have to of keeping the law. Far outseeds, exceeds it. And I, you know, I can give you the example of law giving versus grace giving. Law giving is like says, give ten percent of your income to God, and so you got this ceiling, ten percent. Grace giving says. Grow in the grace of giving. You know what that does? It changes the ceiling 10% to the floor. And it's up from there. Are you growing in the grace of giving? Now, that's a one step onto a rabbit trail. I'm going to come back. So I don't keep going. There are many decisions that we can make, like Daniel is making here, to worship God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. You know, each one of us has to figure that out. We have to figure out. We, we should want to figure out what that looks like in our lives. Decisions that we can make to not live the old life and, and pursue the new life. And now there will be some similarities in those decisions, but they're going to be different. Because my old life is different than your old life. <laughs> so you've got to be careful with this kind of thing. These, these personal decisions that you're going to make to worship God, you want to make sure you don't make those a public demand. Okay? It's between you and God. You worship Him. Daniel makes another decision in this passage, and that was to respect the people that he was under. So he cho- he chooses to show them respect. God gives him favor with Ashpenaz, um, th- but the guy's afraid. He's afraid that if he gives Daniel what he wants, that he's going to get in trouble with the king, and it could be his head. Now, instead of Daniel going on a hunger strike, instead of him organizing a prison riot, you know what they? Well, I guess uh, I guess uh, a school sit-in. And he's in school. He's in the reprogramming effort. So instead of him doing those things, what he does is he hears the concern of this guy that's over him. And he comes up with this test, this situation, these circumstances that puts all the risk on him and none on that guy. He says, you feed me uh, vegetables and water for 10 days. If we don't look better after 10 days than the rest of the people eating the king's food, then you can do what you want. You know, we'll go to the king's menu. Nothing. No one will be the wiser. But if we look better, then we can continue to worship God with what we're eating. So God blesses that decision. He blesses that diet. And they all look fatter than all of the others who are on the king's menu. And so the king's menu, which is, you know, just imagine what the king's menu is. It is replaced with Daniel's menu, vegetables and water. I was thinking Daniel was probably not the most popular guy in school when that happened. But in that whole arrangement, Daniel's showing respect. Respect to his captors, respect to foreigners, respect to people that are not like him, people that are different from him, from the guy who was the chief official all the way down to the steward who was serving them the food. You know, we can make the same decision to respect other people who are different than we are. You know, yes, we don't want to conform to the pattern of this world. We want to make decisions that make us look different so when we're worshiping God, but we don't want those decisions to cause us to separate from the world. Okay, we want to, to, um, we, we want to live differently, but love extravagantly. Live differently, but love extravagantly. And too often, we let our differences with other people separate us from the people we need to be connected to, people we're trying to reach. It has been on my heart for a while now that our church body would look like the neighborhood we're planted in. And you know, out there when you're here during the week, lots of people are walking to Meijer. And most of those people who are walking by have a different color skin than we do. You know, racism is a word in our country that is still a word. It's still pretty prevalent. And I was thinking, I, I don't believe that we can be passive about racism anymore because we don't think we're racist. We've got to do a little bit more. We've got to take an, a step to step out there. You know, our, our church is in this multi-ethnic neighborhood. Would you pray with me? For wisdom and opportunity to grow a church that looks like the neighborhood, and then when you leave let 's go out there and look for ways to answer the prayer, to be god 's answer let 's connect with people who are different than we are. It is one way to be different than the world and show love and respect to people who are different than we are. You know you know heaven's going to be multi-ethnic. wouldn't it be cool to taste a little bit of heaven when we get together? Like this right here. There's work to do there. I'd love for us to be part of tearing down the walls that Satan is using to divide us. Let's do it. Make the decisions to worship and to respect. I really believe that God will bless those decisions. He will honor those decisions in your life. And it will be for your good and His glory. Alright, one last strategy. To be God strong. In verses 17 to 21. use, Use the position. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So God blesses these four teenagers with with abilities, with, with aptitudes, and they outshine everybody else at the University of Babylon. I mean, they are at the head of the class. After three years, they're brought before the king for final exams. And, you know, they're not only ahead of the class, they're like ten times ahead of the class. I mean, way better. In fact, better than anybody outside the university. These guys are the movers and the shakers right here. Right there. God has positioned four faithful men who will be faithful to him in very influential places. They become the king's counselors for a very long time. That last verse, verse 21, it says that Daniel was there until the, first king, for, until the first year of King Cyrus. That means that he held this position for over 60 years. 60 years. It's very clear, isn't it, that God is the one who put him in that position. He's the one who got them there. God blessed them. God gave them those abilities. Why did God put them there? To be His instrument. His instrument to do His will. His witness to be uh, a witness that He is real, that he's exi- He exists when it wasn't anywhere else. He, they, they were put there to be His light in that dark country. What position... Has God put you in? What gifts and abilities. Has he given you? Now wherever you are. And whatever God has given you. You can use those things. To do his work. And be his witness. You know we're all in a position. Of living in America. You know that's amazing. I didn't choose to be born in America. God put me here. It's a place that we can still share our faith without too much risk. There is some risk, you know, we might get somebody mad at us, we might even lose a job, but really, this is a land of opportunity. If you don't you can you can find another job. Honor God at work and He'll find you another job. There's some risk, but in the big scheme of things, not a whole lot. How should we be using our position as Americans to be a witness for God and to do his work? How should we? Keep keep the message in here or take it out there. Do you have a job? How'd you get the job? Just walk up to the employer and say, Hey, I want to work for you. Where's my desk? That's not how it works, is it? No, no, no. You gotta go there, they gotta look you up and down, you gotta dress for success. You know, they're basically taking you and they're comparing you to everybody else that's coming in looking for a job, right? And so they decided, somebody decided, I think this person's going to help us more than these other people. Isn't that exactly what happened to Daniel? God has put you in your job. He's put you in that position. How can you use your job to be his witness and to do his work? Start a Bible study. Start a prayer group. Help a coworker that's stuck on something. Make sure the boss knows that they're working hard. Season your conversations with salt and light. Be an encouragement to people and bring light into their lives. It's a hard life. There's all kinds of ways that you can use your position at work. How about where you live? You know, your geographical position, your neighborhood. How can you use your geographical position to be God's witness and to do His work? Cut the neighbor's grass. Help him fix his lawnmower. Well, at least help him find the YouTube videos to know how. (coughs) Right? That's what I would have to do. Make him dinner. Be God's witness of love. Are you a student? Like Daniel. You know, in your school, you have a great opportunity to influence people, to lead people to Jesus. Now, I know there's separation of church and state, but they can't take you out of the school. God is in you. You're in the school. God's in school. Right? What can you do there? Be God's witness and do His work. Help somebody study for final exams. Sit with an outcast at lunch. Show them that God is real and really God, and God loves them very much. Show them that. How can you use your position? You know, if we're going to believe that God is sovereign over our lives, then we've got to believe that He has us where He has us to do His work and be His witness. To use our positions. Now, the position you're in right now may not be a permanent position. You may be on your way to somewhere else. But all along the way, all along the way, you can use it to bring His glory, right? Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's have our worship team back up. Alright, it's game on. Time to go out and, and be God strong. There's some strategies for you to use there. Fighting the removal. Make decisions to worship God and respect others. Use your position to bring Him uh, into the view of other people. Letting them know how great... Our God is. Now listen, I don't want you to worry. Don't leave here with a big burden. You know, i got to go out and get it right this week. Because listen, God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. He's got the strength for you to go out and live God strong. He's got the grace to pick you up when you don't get it right. You know, He will use you this week. It's not about your ability, it's about your availability. Are you available? Let's stand. Let's pray together Faultless to stand before the throne What amazing grace Lord that you love us That Jesus died for us That there's life in him There's hope in him There's strength in Him. Purpose. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the example of Daniel today. Thank You for his living a faithful life, being God strong. We're getting ready, God, to go out into a world that's in desperate need of You. A world that needs... Your love and hope and mercy and abundance. And you've called us, your church, to be the conduits of that mercy and love and grace. Give us hands this day that are available to you. Feet that will go where you tell us to go. Hearts that will bow the knee before you and live our lives in a way that stands out from everybody around us. So that they might ask why we are the way we are and we can say because of Jesus we love you lord we pray your bless your people your peace in jesus name we pray amen